<laughs> like I keep on checking, Michigan's wrestling team is I think still in the top twenty-five, yeah. but their record in the dual meets was something like one in eleven. Right, and they only had one Big Ten win. Break that, that against down, Ohio State. <laughs> and their excuse all year was that they were built for tournaments, not for dual meets. But then they finished eighth ah. at the Big Ten, so they're running out of excuses. They're actually built for the off season. <laughs> So we will, uh, th- that'll wrap things up for this edition of Extra Points. So for Mike Tobin, Rob Salomon, Ted Pickus, and Stu Zas, I'm Steve Schuster saying good night, everyone, and go blue. Navarre gives to Perry. Perry through the middle. Touchdown, Michigan! And the Wolverines have won it in overtime. Michigan wins by a score of 27 to 24, and the team storms the field to mob Chris Perry. WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor, WCBN.org. Rob's on to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds your breath Ann Arbor as Navarre gets set. Places down. Kick is up. It's long enough. It's good! It's good! Michigan wins the game! Michigan shocks Washington and the Wolverines are victorious! Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley, and I'm not sure if Jim's having problems finding a parking spot or he's not coming down. I might have missed uh, a call this afternoon. Who knows? Well, here he is. Well, uh, he probably was uh, putting on that extra layer. We seem to be in uh, Studio Production A here with a, a lot of stuff. Yes. I think a band might have been playing uh, recently. Looks like that kind of material. So, yeah, don't put away your long johns just yet. We're going to have a couple more days of pretty cold weather, but later in the week it's supposed to warm up a little bit. Uh, Dick Cheney, of course, has finally been actually linked to Richard Nixon. A late breaking? No, <laughs> a late breaking story. He... Uh, Seems to have contracted a blood clot while globetrotting around the globe from all that flying. Richard Nixon, of course, contracted phlebitis during the Watergate uh, saga while he was uh, attempting to uh, be international and do all that foreign policy stuff, Jim. So uh, Dick Cheney, uh, well, he's, he's on blood thinners just like Richard Nixon. I'm sure Dick Cheney's on, on a whole host of uh, pharmaceuticals. Um, his near brush yeah. with danger, uh, somewhat suspicious, um, makes you wonder uh, how theatrical the entire thing was. Well, it was certainly a symbolic attack. I don't think Dick Cheney was the target. I mean, obviously, he was well inside the Air Force Base. Yeah, uh, certainly never in, in immediate danger. And... Uh, Bagram, by the way, is is probably about 25 miles north of uh, Kabul, so it's uh, it's a good ways away from where the Taliban are uh, allegedly uh, 
regrouping. Um, but yeah, I think there was something, almost a kind of a weird karma involving Cheney and Bush last week. I thought it was kind of odd that Bush was down there in uh, in, in New Orleans, you know, making another appearance uh, about Katrina after he uh, conspicuously omitted it from his State of the Union, doing some public relations uh, damage control, so to speak, and lo and behold, tornadoes right. come through the area and wreak all sorts of uh, crazy havoc uh, in Alabama and Georgia. Um, very strange, almost uh, like the tornado was chasing Bush. <laughs> the gods are angry. Cleansing the boil from the bottom of America. Better uh, go up to the Oracle of Delphi and check it out, man. Uh, just a very quick comment uh, about Tommy Amaker. Um, I'm one person that doesn't think he should be fired, regardless of uh, what was just said on the sports show. I don't know exactly what was said, but uh, I think Tommy Amaker has uh, weathered the storm here. You know, things could have turned out a little bit better, but... Uh, I get back to this idea that it, it really comes down to players making improvement, and this just didn't happen. Whether he's responsible for that, I don't know. I think Courtney Sims uh, probably uh, spent a little bit too much time during his offseason getting tattoos and not working on his game. <laughs> um, he's run a clean program, and I say give the guy a chance. I don't think it's going to do Michigan any good to uh, fire him and, and move in another direction because who knows where that will lead. So. Uh, I hope Amaker sticks in there. I don't think there's any way Michigan is going to make the NCAA tournament unless they should uh, get to the finals, maybe the Big Ten tournament, or, or win it outright. But uh, that doesn't appear likely. Well, the way in which uh, his predecessor was allowed to pretty much skate right out of here after having run an incredibly corrupt program. Yeah, yeah the Fisher um, era was... Embarrassing uh, to the entire university community, and he just kind of walked away. Yeah, and I think, you know, some players have had some problems under Amaker, but he's run a clean program. He's still a very young man, and I say stick with the guy. Uh, he's got a pretty good recruiting class coming in next year, and we'll just see if uh, things can uh, get better. But I don't think it's the end of the world that we'll be playing in the NIT. A quick brain damage award to Ann Coulter. Uh, we won't go into the F word and what she said, but the mere suggestion that John Edwards and, you know, to sort of take a almost a sixth grade shot at the guy in front of a assembled group of conservative bigwigs as if it's funny um, is is amazing. I mean, this is this isn't even like it's first of all, it's not funny. And second of all, it's just downright stupid. I mean, it's and it's false. Uh, why anyone would have Ann Coulter on the bill is is a question that perhaps the conservative pack, whatever they're called, uh, should uh, examine themselves. But uh, this woman is just simply an embarrassment. Her books, by the way, are they're just full of falsehoods and uh, poorly written as well. She is a real intellectual lightweight. In fact, there's you know some allegations. With legs. Oh yeah, with legs and. I think that's really the secret. To, I mean, this is the the right wing agenda. You know, oh, Condoleezza Rice, the Republicans are a party of opportunity, and she's no token. Uh, and Ann Coulter, oh, she's a, a neoconservative ideologue. Well, she's a quasi attractive woman um, who spews vitriol. Um, yeah, that really doesn't. 
And her her latest book, by the God. way, I mean, there are allegations of sort of pervasive plagiarism. Yeah, so not surprising. I don't know. I mean, her books obviously sell to a uh, constituency in America, and that's that's uh, that's really a shame. I mean, her one book claiming that at the end of the day, McCarthy was right um, and the liberals wrong. Treason, I think, was yeah. the title of it. It's just outrageous nonsense, and uh, I think that it shows. In the in the world of America, you can publish just about anything and make money. Uh, that's scary. Uh, there needs to be more scrutiny to factual examination of arguments, and she's just really becoming a parody of uh, almost a loser. Well, yeah, she is a kind of a parody of a loser, and it's not a surprise that she's trying out comedy moves because supposedly she and Rush Limbaugh have been tapped uh, as hosts of a sort of a daily show, Colbert Report, you know, real right-wing comedy show. I think the right-wingers have found out that the Colbert Report is basically a big snarky laugh in their direction Mm -hmm. um, and is all, you know, tongue-in-cheek. And so she's been kind of picked for that. Uh, She's not funny. And neither is Rush, um, pathetic and lame and cruel. Um, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if she uh, ever makes another appearance on uh, uh, Kudlow's uh, financial show on uh, CNBC because well, she said a number of embarrassing things. Uh, you might remember her comments about Helen Thomas, the uh, yeah. widely admired. Even if you disagree with her politics, uh, she's been on her job and asking hard questions of presidents going back to, what, the Eisenhower age? So uh, she's been around a few times. Helen Thomas knows a few things that Ann Coulter uh, cannot even begin to grasp at. And the readership of her books are people who like to think that they're thinkers. Right. They're not interested in analysis. They're interested in easy-to-chew, bite-sized bits of ideology. And, of course, you know, McCarthy was eventually not only wrong about just about everything he ever spewed, but, I mean, he was a fraud at the end of the day. On a number of levels. And he, amazingly, once he was sort of, uh, his downfall led to uh, seriously heavy drinking that actually led to a premature death, almost uh, poetic justice there. Uh, Mm -hmm. McCarthy, of course, destroyed the uh, so-called China desk um, of the State Department back in the 1950s, claiming that it was uh, littered with communists. And that the U.S. had somehow lost China. Right. And, of course, this was all nonsense. All of these State Department officials were pretty much reporting what was actually going on on the ground. Uh, Many of them were liberal, but uh, they were not communists. And uh, as historians have rightly pointed out, Joe McCarthy, at the end of the day found absolutely zero communists, uh, despite his famous uh, sheet in West Virginia with 205. Uh, and, of course, the number kept changing. Which right. Is, well, you know, that should be your tip. Whenever uh, a political the figure is waving a piece of paper in the air and making claims about it, that, that should be a red flag. <laughs> That's historically been proven to be bunk every time. And he was waving the red flag. <laughs> <laughs> In more Almost ways than one. Yeah. Well, speaking of China, uh, interesting article in today's Financial Times, uh, kind of a small article. Uh, I'm sure it'll be blown up into alarmist proportions by, oh, say the Ann uh, Coulter, <laughs> <laughs> or the CIA's leak sheet of choice, the Washington Times, owned by uh, Sun Myung Moon. 
Um, but this is an interesting article. Chinese military spending to rise by 18 percent. Um, this seems like a rather large jump. And yet when you consider that even factoring in this 18 percent jump into uh, account, it's still a very small fraction of what the United States spends. About on one tenth. Spending. And right. Interestingly, of course, if you actually examine the increase in military spending that's occurred under Bush, it's it's close to a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> so this so, is really yeah. not quite as uh, drastic a jump as it may seem. And it's also important to remember that China's economy is fairly robust. Uh, but what's interesting in this article to me are the comments by John Negroponte. Uh oh. The U.S. Deputy Secretary of State, and talk about a guy with a black bag full of skullduggery. And red flags. <laughs> <laughs> just don't ask him about Central America in the 80s, people. Let's just leave us, do us all a favor. Anyway, uh, this article by Andrew Ye, writing from Beijing, uh, says, John Nergapandi, U.S. De Deputy Secretary of State, called on Chinese leaders yesterday to explain clearly what their, quote, plans and intentions are for the buildup. And Negroponte says, quote, it's not so much the budget and the increases as it is understanding those questions better through dialogue and transparency, he said at the U.S. Embassy. Well, there you go, folks. This is a Dear Diary moment. John Negroponte asking for transparency. I mean, this guy has been involved in more secret operations, more covert uh, overthrowings of governments, um, all sorts of... Uh, espionage shenanigans and somehow he has the moral authority to call on the chinese leaders to explain their intentions i mean wow that's that's balls yeah well particularly when he's sort of the uh i don't know condoleezza rice of the uh bush administration he's had a number of uh hats uh, yeah. during uh bush pair two and uh of course you know, the full uh, details of his involvement in the Central American War, I don't think were ever adequately certainly not explored either by Congress or the media. Uh, of course, China has been in the news uh, extensively over the past week because of the stock market. Mm -hmm. um, you know, things are. Uh, well, what is that phrase that Kudlow, Kudlow uses the Goldilocks economy? He says it's the greatest story never told. <laughs> that we're in a Goldilocks economy and he dismisses all these uh, apparent problems and they are, there are apparent problems. I'm not sure how that analogy is supposed to work. Are we about to be murdered in our sleep by bears whose houses we've uh, eaten porridge in? Who knows? I, always I don't get that. Russia was the bear, but yeah. Uh, yeah, the bear market uh, <laughs> may figure in on this. But it seems to me that there's been a sort of interesting confluence of events uh, in the past uh, five or six weeks that have led to this stock market correction. And by the way, I don't think it's anything uh, that you or, or I should worry about. No. Um, the um, the rich are, are, are feeling a little poorer these days. But, uh, of course, uh, the Chinese uh, government has tried to cool down the uh, Chinese stock market mm -hmm. uh, with uh, some... Uh, intervention shall we say and then of course greenspan made his comments in hong kong um that were interesting let me just briefly quote them 
because they seem to have played a role in uh, the ultimate uh, decline that followed uh, last Tuesday. And by the way, it was, you know, by historical standards, was not a major uh, a major decline, although the Chinese uh, stock uh, Shanghai index went down about 9%. But anyway, uh, Chairman, former uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Greenspan, speaking by satellite to a Hong Kong audience, used the word recession and appeared to question the widespread notion that the current expansion will last all decade, much as the expansion of the 90s did. Quote, we do not and cannot look into history without being very concerned when you see the absence of awareness and the concern about the risk we see today. That's a typical Greenspan elliptical comment. I'd also like to point out that there, if you go back and you check uh, just the last several decades, there have been uh, serious corrections at the end of the decade. And when you uh, read about the uh, subprime problem, for instance, there's a, a front page story or in the business section of today's New York Times about a, an ex- a former executive of New Century Financial uh, their, their stock, by the way, col- pretty much collapsed today. Uh, he's a guy that sort of got out of Dodge in the nick of time, and there are apparently SEC investigations into the conduct of this company, as this story reports, that uh, federal prosecutors and security regulators are investigating stock sales and accounting errors. Uh, mm, accounting errors, that's a... Nice euphemism there for nice uh, euphemism for capitalists uh, that are engaged in outright fraud. Fraud. Um, the latter could jeopardize billions of dollars in financing for the company, which issued thirty-nine point four billion dollars in subprime loans in the first nine months of just last year. It then goes on to detail how uh, basically the executives of this company uh, pocketed. <laughs> Millions of dollars in dividends and salaries, bonuses and perks, and obviously at, uh, from a business perspective, you could say they sort of decapitalized the company. Mm-hmm. But getting down to this interesting thing about uh, the subprime problem, uh, this is uh, spreading throughout the American uh, financial milieu, so to speak. And it's interesting, uh, the the writer of this article, and it's co-written by Julie Creswell and uh, Vikas Bajaj, I'm maybe mispronouncing his last name there, but they write, in the last two years, many skeptics began warning that the red-hot housing market and adjustable rate loans would blend into a toxic brew. Uh, last year, subprime loans totaled $600 billion, or about 20% of all mortgages, up from $120 billion and 5% in 2001, according to Inside Mortgage Finance. More than half subprime loans have adjustable rates. And, of course, adjustable rates are susceptible to interest rate mm-hmm. increases by the Federal Reserve. Bran- uh, ben Branicki is... Got no inclination at the moment to cut rates, so things are probably going to remain in a holding pattern or even increase because he continues to be concerned about inflation. So this stock market correction, which is the proper way to characterize it, I think is an interesting confluence of several events. Interestingly, the Wall Street Journal reported that uh, just after Greenspan's comments, the U.S. uh, Commerce Department reported uh, quote, that Greenspan's uh, appeared to be prophetic uh, with its uh, report that orders for big-ticket durable goods fell sharply in January. 
durable goods are a uh, item to keep track of uh, because it, uh, as the author in the Wall Street Journal put it, that raised questions about the strength of capital spending, a factor that the Fed, among others, has been continuing to offset housing market weakness. And, of course, we've seen a huge uh, collapse, so to speak, in the housing market in many areas. It's interesting that Colorado, Indiana, and Georgia are actually leading uh, the nation in foreclosures. Mm. We have this uh, Asian uh, stock market correction that sort of is in confluence with uh, the American one. What's leading the, the dog? Who knows? Whether it's a rope or the tail is wagging the dog, we don't know. But what we do know is that this correction will probably continue now for several weeks. And uh, beware. But there are buying opportunities out there, as the optimists (laughs) always say. Well, uh, for real estate locally, it is, of course, a buyer's market, um, especially with the Pfizer situation. Um. Just a quick item here and another brain damage award for the Bush administration who took steps on Friday towards building a new generation of nuclear warheads, selecting a design, according to Joseph Hebert, uh, that is being touted as safer, more secure, and more easily maintained than today's arsenal. Um, Well, of course, this comes at a strange time when we are concerned about the development of an Iranian nuclear weapon, of Korean nuclear weapons, wouldn't it be uh, kind of a better way to lead by example by, uh, say, perhaps beginning the process of discontinuing nuclear weapons? But no, scientists at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory will proceed with the weapons design uh, with an anticipation that the first warheads may be ready by 2012 as replacements for Trident missiles on submarines. And just for those keeping score at home, there are believed to be about 6,000 warheads deployed here in the United States and another 4,000 in reserve. And, of course, so far we've been fairly lucky. Only a few random bombs have been lost or gone missing. But uh, when you're talking about... 10,000 nuclear weapons sitting around, new nuclear weapons being made. Um, This adds pressure to the international arms race. We're concerned about the intentions that China may have with their military spending. And, uh, well, gee, can we really be surprised that Iran and Korea want to rush into a nuclear weapons program when we're doing the same thing? It's just complete pig ignorance. Yeah, it's hypocrisy. And, of course, the... uh I don't know. The saber rattling with Iran will probably continue, although there have been some minor uh, diplomatic advances in recent weeks uh, on that score. By the way, um, I think the fourth part of this uh, series on Frontline on uh, PBS called News War, I think uh, I want to recommend highly to uh, listeners out there. I've seen the, the first three. And I thought that the first and the third were particularly good because uh, this last one uh, sort of focused on the uh, interesting uh, situation at the Los Angeles Times, you know, regarding the corporation that owns them and, you know, whether or not we're going to have uh, four national newspapers. Uh, as they pointed out, and this is – I'm going to read this little brief uh, number comparison um, from – the Columbia Journalism Review, uh, 
January, February of 2007. Um, it says 71, um, this is hard numbers, 71, percentage of page one stories from Iraq in 67 news outlets that were written by embedded reporters um, March 19th to uh, May 1st of 2003. That's the day when Bush donned the flight uh, deck suit and uh, declared mission accomplished in Iraq. A great day in our nation's history. It then lists the percentages of the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, the Chicago Tr Tribune, and the U.S. Toady. And this is fascinating. This is the percentage of uh, reporters. And these are, by the way, the, uh, the Times, the New York Times, the Post, are really the only two newspaper uh, organizations that really have full-time reporters in Baghdad, in Iraq, uh, as, uh, along with the Los Angeles Times. But there are rumors that uh, this may cease to happen. For the New York Times, it was 37%. For the Washington Post, it was 55%. For the L.A. Times, 60%. The Chicago Tribune, 64%. And the U.S. Toady, 100%. Those are reports from embedded reporters. Mm -hmm. So the significance of that, of course, is, you know, in ascending order, you can see that the New York Times did by far the most independent reporting of those uh, newspapers. And the reason that I bring this up as this uh, documentary um, news war on Frontline points out, newspapers are, are it in America now in terms of who's going out and actually reporting, gathering the news. Going to the places outside of the country where it's happening. Yeah, and it, it, we're reaching a point where it really is going to come down to what the New York Times and the Washington Post deem as important news in many of these foreign countries because everybody else is... Retreating uh, behind this this sort of uh, perpetual, almost constant demand for quarterly profits mm -hmm. and sending out reporters into to dangerous areas in Afghanistan and Iraq, for instance, is uh, Carlotta Gall, uh, outstanding stuff. Uh, you know, the New York Times, I'm critical of a lot of things they do, but her reporting uh, from Afghanistan is outstanding. You know, she's getting the story. And when you find out that 70% of all television news is based on the New York Times and Washington Post and L.A. Times reporting, um, it's a pretty scary development. Well, one of the corporate bigwigs uh, of, of this whole Chicago Tribune Corporation, I should say the Tribune Corporation, because they own the L.A. Times. Mm. And uh, they, there has been a battle royale over the last uh, two years about how the L.A. Times is going to, what kind of a newspaper it's going to be. And various uh, editors have come in and have, have resisted uh, uh, cuts and have been fired by the corporation. Uh, and, of course, one of the great sound bites in this was, well, we don't need the L.A. Times to be like um, the, uh, the the New York Times or the Washington Post. It can't be a, quote, national newspaper. He said there are only three national newspapers, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the U.S. Toady. And, of course, we all know what the U.S. Toady provides in terms of news. I would say that, you know, once or twice a year, they come up with something really interesting and good. But for the most part, it's... Celebrity snot rag. Yeah, it's just packaged garbage it's the mcdonald's of newspapers 
And, of course, the Wall Street Journal's perspective is uh, strong on, uh, on business and international financial issues and that sort of thing, but they're not really on the ground in Baghdad or Kabul or Nigeria uh, or other places of significance. And I think that it was pretty scary when um, some of these experts in journalism were pointing out that, you know, it may reach a day where we only have the New York Times to uh, actually have reporters on the ground doing the kind of dirty legwork that's required to uh, obtain this information. It's scary. Well, we might even become like a third world country that has to read the newspapers of other nations to find out what's going on within themselves. Yeah. Um, the, the kind of in-depth reporting that, you know, used to be actively encouraged amongst cub reporters and so forth is really uh, taking a backseat to celebrity news, um, entertainment, infotainment, and uh, the pure, you know, search of profits that you've mentioned. And, of course, what was interesting about Lowell Bergman's uh, story on this particular subject is how the Internet has uh, very quickly uh, undermined the newspaper business mm -hmm. because of their ability to, shall we say, grab all the information, put it online, but they don't have any reporters on the ground. Right. They're, they're not gathering the information. So even Google executives and Yahoo were... were uh, openly admitting that, yeah, we rely on these newspapers for for what we put on our websites. So there are a lot of people out there that aren't understanding the connections. And, of course, the other uh, big problem for the newspaper business is the uh, classified ads uh, issue and how Craigslist has undermined that mm -hmm. revenue stream that uh, provided the profitability for these newspapers. But what was interesting was the focus on the Tribune Corporation, when Lowell Bergman was confronting these executives, pointing out to them that they were making 20%. What's wrong with that? Yeah. And they were saying, that's not enough. Wall Street demands more sort of argument. That is scary. And it was enlightening to hear that there may be a billionaire out in L.A. by the L.A.s who uh, actually cares about the news, but he admitted, I don't know anything about the news business. I'm the golden knight. And uh, the Tribune Corporation, by the way, has turned down all of the legitimate offers to buy the Los Angeles Times. So this is a very scary development, and I highly recommend this frontline documentary that will probably re-air uh, this summer. It's called News War. It's been a four-part series. As I said, I think episode one and episode three are particularly good, and episode four is going to focus on the Arab... Uh, the rise of the Arab media in the uh, sad and tragic and alarming um, developments over the past several years that have been uh, enacted by the Bush administration. Indeed. Uh, we're just about out of time. Um, just a moment or so left. I'll have to save my uh, Chinese ant swindle story for yet another Oh, I, th week. I think you can read that. Okay. When we get the book, we can save her next time. Uh, this is amazing. A Chinese business executive was sentenced to death for swindling $385 million from investors in a bogus ant breeding scheme. Wang Zhendong, uh, chairman of Yinkao uh, Trading Company, uh, lured 10,000 investors between 2002 and 2005 by promising them returns of up to 60% on their stake in two companies that existed only on paper. Only $1.3 billion of the swindled money had been recovered. 
When the case was filed last June, prosecutors said that one investor committed suicide after realizing he had been duped on ant breeding <laughs> swindle. I mean, wow, who needs to breed ants? Exactly. 10,000 people went for this. Sounds 